100,000. That number, according to the internet, is how many times our heart beats per day. If you were to calculate from the day of our birth to the day we die up to the age of 70, that would be approximately 2.5 billion heartbeats a day. Just simply do a little bit of mathematical calculation. The heartbeat is meaningless if it is not measured in terms of time. And when you and I look at our lives, you find that most of our problems that we face day in and day out are because of time. It's linked to time. Our joy and our happiness are also linked to time. Time is part and parcel of our existence on this earth and into eternity. Time doesn't stop just because we exist in eternity. The Bible tells us that in the new heaven and new earth, there will be the tree of life that will help us to tell time. We do not need any clock because that tree of life will bear different fruits, 12 different fruits. Every month there will be a new fruit. That means time continues to exist. The difference is our attitude toward time will change. In eternity, we are no longer afraid of time. We do not need to number our days because it's eternity. We continue to live on and on and on and on again. We do not need to worry about running out of time because we will never run out of time because the Bible says that we will no longer die. We will live forever and ever with immortality as part and parcel of our new resurrected glorified bodies. And so time will always be there. The difference is, while we are here on earth, just as time continues to exist on earth and into eternity, our time here on earth is limited, finite. Because we live and exist in a body that is finite. Our soul and spirit or spirit will live forever. But this earthen vessel that the Lord has given to us to witness a good confession for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, has an expiration date. And that expiration date is not in the hands of man, but in the hands of God. Some people think that they are the captain of their own destiny, whereby they have placed some kind of poisonous potion at the headrest of their beds, and they will change it and update it when it is expired. They believe that if one day they feel they don't want to live any longer, they will just simply drink those poisonous potion, and then they will just simply die. Now, this is the practice of those who believe in euthanasia, the good death. And so they believe that they are the captain of their own time, their own destiny. When I feel that my time should be up, I am the one who decide, not sickness, not accident, not a stranger, me and me alone. This is foolish thinking, foolish reasoning. This is idiocy because these are the foolish individuals 
who think that after they die, when their time here on earth ends, they just simply face no one. Judgment awaits them. Every second of their time here on earth will need to be accounted for before God. And if they live in sin and die in sin, they will be cast into the abyss. They will be cast, thrust into hell, ultimately the lake of fire, where there will be suffering, torment, gnashing of teeth, pain unimaginable for eternity. And God also revealed to us in the book of Revelation that in one of his judgments against this sinful world, he will take death away from sinful men and force them to suffer in intense, excruciating pain because he's going to send scorpions from the bottomless pit to sting those who have the mark of the beast and they will be forced to suffer excruciating pain and death, the Bible said, will be taken from them to let them know that you will never be the captain of your own time. God is the one who begins our time when we began to exist in our mother's womb. That was our beginning. And the moment we have a beginning, there is no end of our existence. It's either we end in heaven and spend eternity in the presence of God Almighty, our loving Creator and Heavenly Father, or we end up in the lake of fire to join those who are the enemies of God, where they will be punished for eternity. The greatest gift in terms of what we have as human beings from God is time. How much time do we have on this earth? Only God knows. Only God knows. But time and time waits for no man. Whether you are on your feet doing something, time will continue to tick on. And it will be a constant ticking, 24 hours a day for everyone. Whether you hold to the lunar calendar or the solar calendar, where the solar calendar count the number of days per year as 365, or the lunar calendar would count 360 days per year, but in terms of number of hours per day, it will still be 24. That will not change. And whether you lie down to sleep, it will still be 24. Whether you are running around, walking around, busily doing something like a bumblebee, flying from flower to flower, it is still 24 hours a day. Oh, some people think that they can multitask and live two, three lifetimes in one lifetime. And that's why people try to multitask. They want to live two, three lifetimes in one lifetime. And so they are very, very busy. And because of such kind of busyness, you realize that their focus on one thing and do one thing only properly is compromised. They will not be able to give their very best because their attention is a moment here, a moment there, and a moment somewhere else. And so whatever they present at the end of their so-called completed task, it will not be better if they were to just simply focus and put all their attention in one activity. 
So time affects and impacts our lives for good as well as for bad. That's the way things will always be as long as we serve the Lord in this earthen vessel on this earth. Time, a precious commodity. What exactly is the believer's attitude toward time? Time for growth. If you have been a believer when you were 20, and now that you are a believer at the age of 50, you have 30 years, supposedly, 30 years of spiritual maturity. 30 years have come and gone, and those 30 years are not going to return. The question is, are you a 30-year-old mature believer whereby you can handle the Word of God as a 30-year-old believer maturely understand the Word of God whereby when you share the Word of God, any portion of God's Word with anyone, anytime, it will truly be rightly divided where you can confidently utter and say, Thus said the Lord. Or has it been uh, 30 years of repetition of one year where you just simply allow time to flitter by and you are just a babe in Christ where you repeat the same one year 30 times over? You know, I read somewhere where two individuals, one an elderly person, the other one, a young person seated outside the office waiting to be interviewed for the same job. And so when this elderly individual looked at this young man and they had a little bit of conversation, he found out that this young man only had three years of experience in his life. He had 30 years of experience in his life, and so he was pretty confident that he would get the job. And so both of them went for the interview, the young man first, and then the elderly individual. And then after the interview, they were told to wait outside as they deliberated, and then they called the elderly individual man into the room. And then they asked him and they explained to him, we are very, very sorry, but you did not get the job. It is given to the young man. And so he was a little upset, to say the least. And so he asked the committee, I have 30 years of experience. He only had three. Why did you give it to him and not me? They said to him, you did not have 30 years of experience. You only have 30 years of repeating the same year 30 times. He had three years of experience. He has grown during those three years more than you have these past 30 years in terms of experience, knowledge, discipline. Time, precious commodity, and yet we waste it. Have you ever heard of the phrase that I am killing time? Why do you want to kill time? Because these people do not know what to do with their time. They have so much time in their hands, they just don't know what to do with it. And very often, 
because of that, we waste time. And sometimes we think that God is also bound by time like us. And when God says certain things, he is like us. If it doesn't come to pass after so many hundreds of years, like the second coming, like his return, he doesn't mean it. Because when a person says that he is coming, he should have come. He said that he will come 2,000 years ago in the lifetime of the apostles. The apostles have lived, martyred, and died, and it has not happened. And then the next generation of the apostles, and then another generation, another generation, another generation, and that was 2,000 years ago. How many generations have come and gone? And Christ said he is returning again, and nothing happened. And so these were the mockers who make light of God's promises, of God's truth, of God's prophecies, especially the second coming of Christ. But the Lord had told mankind, especially his children, this world is reserved for destruction by fire. Do you really believe that? Dearly beloved, if you really believe that, then uh, your present life must change in light of that awesome prophecy. If you set your heart's affection on the things of this earth, that means you don't believe. If you are motivated when you go to work by money and power and position, then you don't believe. If you focus only in providing for your children the education of the world and you define success or parenting as your children's success in the world where they become professionals and they earn big bucks, they live in mansions, then you do not believe. People who truly believe that this world is reserved for destruction because God said so even though it was proclaimed 2,000 years ago, then you have to realize and understand that when God looks at time, we have no right to force him to look at time from our perspective and not his. And so in verse 9, verse 8, But beloved, Peter was very tender. He was referring to believers because believers would, should be the only ones who ought to believe in the prophecies of God. Because prophecies are primarily given to his children. And if his own children would not believe, the world would not believe, because the world reject his love in Christ. Prophecies are primarily given to us, they're not for the world. Just like when your father tells you that at the end of the year, he is going to bring all his children to Europe. To have a good time. He is not telling anyone who is not part of the family. That trip to Europe does not include other people's children. Only his. That would be you. And so when God the Father tells us this, he expects his children to believe him. And if you say that you are the child of God, you have truly accepted Christ as Lord and as Savior, then you should believe him. You have no right not to believe him unless you are not a child of God. 
because the Spirit of God who indwells you will believe. Because Jesus assured us that my sheep hears my voice and they follow me. And so God says, Dearly beloved, my children, I want you to know how I look at time. I look at time in this manner and don't you forget it. One day is with the Lord, with me, God says, like a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Now the one day literally means 24-hour day. The 1,000 years literally means 1,000 years. It's not a figure of speech. He's not saying that one day and 1,000 years they are sinners. They are not sinners. They are really different. Right? They are literally 24-hour, one day. 1,000 years means 1,000 years. But it's a matter of perspective. That's how we introduce this sermon. Perspective. When you are in eternity, it is still 24-hour day. Your perspective of time will change because you will not run out of time anymore. You will not be numbering your days and fearful that your time will end. Perspective. Now, this is God's perspective. And God wants us to know that it may be 2,000 years from our perspective and it may appear, wow, so long. 2,000 years, that's mind-boggling, unimaginable. Why? Because we are bound by time. And our timing on earth, for most of us, will not reach 100. And since we do not reach 100, 1,000 years from that perspective of a time limit of expiration date that will not exceed 100, it appears to be a very, very, very long time. But that is from man's perspective with a lifespan of less than a hundred years. But God says, when I give you a prophecy, you must understand that it must be from my perspective, not yours. And it will be very, very wrong and sinful on your part to understand God and then interpret Him based upon our perspective, and then you come up with a wrong conclusion, and that would impact and diminish God as if we have made God into our own image. And so now God is telling us, to you, a thousand years may be a very long time, but to God, it's like one day. And one day to God could be like a thousand years. In other words, God is telling us, I am not bound by time. You see, in prophecies, if the prophecies are not about time itself, like in Daniel chapter 9, in the prayer of Daniel, where he prayed to the Lord according to the prophecy of Jeremiah that they would be in captivity for 70 years. And 70 years were about up, which would be the end of the Babylonian Empire and the beginning of the Medo-Persian Empire. He prayed and asked the Lord to keep his word and let his people return to the promised land. And even before he uttered the final syllable of his prayer, the Lord heard his cry. 
And the Lord not only told him, yes, it will happen, but the Lord gave him a prophecy of 77s, where the prophecy was about time, 77. That's how we know that the Great Tribulation will only last seven years. But the bulk of God's prophecies are primarily events. But time is insignificant. You may have one big chunk of Bible verses pertaining to prophecies. But one part could be fulfilled, and the next part would have a gap of a long period of time. And you will not find it because the verses are sequential. Let me share with you from Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, the first message preached by the Apostle Peter at Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verse 16. Now, he was quoting Joel. This quotation is taken from Joel chapter 2, verse 16. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, Verse 17, And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out of those days of my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. Verse 19, and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now this is a quotation from Joel chapter 2, verse 28 onwards. Now verse... 18, sorry, verse 17 and verse 18 were fulfilled at Pentecost, where the Lord, by inspiration to Peter, he preached and said that it was part of the period of the last days. It's already fulfilled. But when you look at verses 19 to 21, you realize that that described actually the second coming of Christ, the return of Christ. Do you realize that? Look at Matthew 24, and you will see the similarity. Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, that is, at the end of the seven years of tribulation, Shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of, of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. You see how the Similarity in Matthew 24, verse 29, at the end of the seven years of great tribulation, 
sun will be darkened, the moon shall not give a light, and the stars shall fall from heaven. You see the similarity? The prophecy of Joel, quoted by Peter in his first sermon in Acts 2, verses 17 and 18, fulfillment of Pentecost, verses 19, 20 and 21, fulfillment on the day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Now we know that from verses 17 to 18, that was 2,000 years ago, verses 19 to 21, from our perspective, that is a gap of already 2,000 years. But it is a continuation of Bible verses. So when the events are the focus in God's prophecies, time is immaterial unless time is the focus in itself, just like Daniel chapter 9. And so when the Lord himself declared to us that the world is reserved for destruction by fire when I return, that means Jesus Christ will return as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That means when he returns, the day of salvation will be over. In other words, when the Lord Jesus Christ appears in a cloud of glory with the myriads of his saints and angels, to fight the Antichrist and the false prophet at the battle of Armageddon. The moment he appeared, for the first time the world will see the Lord Jesus Christ in his glorious glory. And then if they were to shout, Hosanna, save me! Jesus Christ will tell them from heaven, the day of salvation is over. I'm not here to save, I'm here to judge. His first coming he came to save. His second coming, he will come to judge. That's why he will have on his body the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is here to judge the world. And the Bible tells us that when that day comes, everyone at that point in time in their lives, if they are evil and wicked, they're going to be evil and wicked forever and ever. That means the day of salvation is over. And those who are holy and righteous will be holy and righteous forever and ever. It's found in the book of Revelation. That means the end of time for the world. The end of time can be seen from two perspectives. End of time for the world, we have just described that to you. End of time for us as individuals. We have seen this repeatedly in our lives experiences when our friends, family members and loved ones are taken home. God's perspective is not ours. He looks at time differently even though time and time again he works within our time so that we can understand his plan in other words, God comes down to our level because of our finiteness and our limitation and our inability to understand Him if He does not come down to our level. And that's why He doesn't want us to interpret His prophecies based upon our limited and myopic perspective, especially of time. Because most of our issues and problems in life are because of time. 
a time to live, a time to die, a time to grow, a time to this, a time to stop, a time to cry, a time to love, a time, a time, a time, a time. And so therefore, because we are so affected by time, and then we try to put God into our own little box, and we become impatient. And then because of impatience, doubt creeps in. And when doubt creeps in, unbelief. And when unbelief keeps in, we stop believing what God has prophesied. And then we allow the attractions of the world and the lures and seduction of the world to have a grip on our heart and our lives. And then our witness and our testimony begins to wilt. And then ultimately it will die. When you and I are so steep in sin, we have no more light shining forth from our lives and when people around us look at us they will not be able to see the holy savior they're going to see a carnal savior and they are the ones who will suffer the greatest because if you are truly born again you know you cannot lose your salvation but the people around you who are not born again and when they can't see the christ of the bible in your life they will never find salvation and instead of not finding salvation, they might even be stumbled by your life of sin and carnality. And they will reject Christ forever and ever. A church member shared with me some time back of how her husband, who is now in his 70s or maybe even 80s, late 70s or early 80s, he said that he will never, never believe in Christ, no matter what. And he'll never set foot in the church. Oh, he did once or twice. When we had the vigil services of Dr. Toh and Mrs. Toh in the church premises, he came. But other than that, you try to invite him to any Christmas service or Easter service or gospel service or end of year service, whatever it is, he says no. And then the wife shared with me, long, long time ago when he was a little boy, a little boy, his uncle, his father's brother, they were fighting over the inheritance when the boy's grandfather, the father's father died. And the uncle was an elder of a church. And the bickering over the inheritance became so bad. And his father lost. And his uncle won. And what exactly happened after that? It is said that he and his father struggled. Because they lost the inheritance. And from that point onwards, that young boy hated Christianity because he saw what happened to his father and especially his own experience as well. The uncle died long ago. But it is not so much the uncle that the boy despised, is it? It is Christ that the uncle represented that he continued to despise till today. You see the tragedy? 
This young boy is now in his late 70s and 80s. His 2.5 billion heartbeats are long over. He is now living in borrowed time, as it were, because the Bible tells us, according to the writing of Moses in the book of Psalms, three score years and ten is the lifespan, and by reason of strength, you add another ten more. He's in his late 70s and early 80s. No matter how you want to count it, he is literally living on borrowed time. At any time, any moment, he could leave this world with a very, very sad bitterness in his heart that no matter what happened, he had chosen to die in his sin. The regret he's going to have when he is cast into the lake of fire will haunt him, I'm sure. Because no matter how godly the wife could ever be, no matter how the wife would try to urge him and share the gospel with him, his mind was already made up or is already made up. The impact in his soul after so many decades because of one sad, tragic incident that happened when he was just a little boy. It could not be negated because the only one who could negate it and turn this sad tragedy around was the uncle himself. When he was alive, of course, make up with the father, share the inheritance, split half-half, whatever it was. That was the only way to turn this sour, misguided perspective, this tragic perspective of an awful Christ that was impressed into the very soul of this young boy that he just simply could not erase. Time did not soften that bitterness, that hatred, that anger against Christ. Because the moment he thinks of Christ, I'm sure the image of that experience and the uncle would be brought to memory. Do not look at time from our own perspective when you understand prophecies and the Word of God. To these people who say the Bible has mistakes, pardon me if I keep repeating this because this is our battle in the last days. It's also a matter of time, isn't it? Because the Bible has so many verses telling us that the Word of God is perfect, the Word of God is perfect, the Word of God is perfect. But then to those who reject it, they use evidence, not the Word of God. And so their claim that our doctrine is sola scriptura is actually a lie. That's problem number one. And problem number two is that they cannot imagine how the Word of God that was given, especially the New Testament, they have no issue with the Old Testament somehow or other. But it's the New Testament with more than 5,000 portions of manuscripts. All of them different. They say that based upon our human experience, when someone copied, it's always with mistakes. And we are talking about the New Testament, 27 books with so many verses and so many words in all these verses. I'm sure they will make mistakes. 
And then after so many hundreds of years of copying, sure, we have mistakes because time. That's their argument. That's their reason. They use time because they try to understand God's work and God's will based upon man's time, man's perspective of time. 2,000 years to God is like a day. You think God cannot help his people to make sure that when they copy that the word of God will be perfect because it's only two days. It's not uh, 2,000 years. From God's perspective, it's nothing. It's easy, easily done. He made uh, the whole universe by just speaking his word. You think God in his infinite power and wisdom who understood how important the Word of God is to our salvation and to our spiritual maturity, that he took more than 1,500 years to inspire his Word, and then he would just simply forget to preserve it? That is ludicrous. That is presenting a God that is so short-sighted that we have more wisdom than him. That is ridiculous. How can we ever have more wisdom than him? If you and I know something that is so important in our family's life, we will plan for it. We will make sure that we write it in our will to make sure that everything will be done according to our heart's desire long after we are dead and gone. We plan, isn't it? Because these are the things that are very important for my children and for my children's children. And so therefore, I have to make sure that my will will be accomplished after I'm gone. And so you put it in your will. You can plan in that manner, can you not? And what about God? Don't ever look at time from our perspective and then force God into our perspective of time. And then the conclusion, verse 9a. What's the conclusion? That the Lord is slack concerning his promise. So Peter says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. The word slack, that means delay, procrastinate. Oh, you and I will procrastinate. We procrastinate all the time for all kinds of reasons. And one of the reasons is we just simply are lazy. Another reason is we are just simply uncomfortable. You know, there are certain emails from certain individuals that I am very, very hesitant to open. Because these people in the past, when I opened their email, it's full of fault-finding, criticism. It's not like people who are genuine and sincere, where they send email and they have questions, they ask because they really wanted to learn. And so when you begin to explain to them, they are very happy to learn. And they are very grateful and thankful after you have explained to them. And now they understood. They are very grateful and thankful. I have no problem opening these kind of emails. But there are certain individuals, when they send emails and they ask questions, they are not there to learn. They are there to debate. Their minds are already made up. They're not going to change their mind. And all they do is ask questions, argue, argue, and no matter how you try to explain it again and again and again, and after many emails, you realize that no matter how you explain, no matter how you write, these people's minds are made up. They're not there to learn. They're there to argue and debate, and there is no conclusion. There will never be any conclusion because the person is not there to learn. It's a waste of time. It is the devil's method to cause you to waste time. 
and it will impact your emotional balance. Because when you see this email, ah, yeah, it is prickly, argumentative. And these people, I will just simply block them. I don't want to receive the email anymore. Have you ever tried to debate with a diehard or charismatic? I have. There is no conclusion. It will only end up emotional upset, both of us. Just argue. Because he's not going to give up his tongue speaking. No matter how you show this verse, that verse, this portion, that portion, no matter how you explain it, no, he's not going to change. Have you tried to convince a diehard Baptist that immersion is not the only way? No use. I tried before, it's worthless. Because if you convince him that immersion is one of the methods of mode of baptism, that sprinkling is also a biblical mode of baptism that is taught in Scripture, do you know what the conclusion is? He will cease to be a Baptist. Do you know that? And he cannot allow that to happen. Just like a charismatic cannot allow that to happen. To not speak in tongue is not to be a charismatic. Speaking in tongue is part and parcel of their DNA as a charismatic. So no point arguing with them unless they are really, really there to learn. Oh, there are some who have given up tongue speaking because they really want to learn. Fine and good. We give them all the time they need. But there will be others who will argue. And so when they send emails like this, I just sit on it, I just sit on it, I just sit on it because there is no joy opening them because it's a vexation of spirit. So we procrastinate for all kinds of reasons. And because it has not happened, we say the same about God. God is slack concerning His promise as some men count slackness. And so the Lord is categorically very definitive by telling us no such thing. God will always be on time. Always. Always be on time. Whether it is long time or short time, please understand, God does not look at time the way that you and I do. But one thing is for certain, He will always be on His time. When He said so, it will happen. When? It's up to Him. But you must believe that that prophecy of that event, it will take place. When? You don't have to know when. If God wants you to know when, He will tell you. And if He doesn't want to tell you, He has a reason. He has a reason. And you and I know the reason. You know the very reason why He does not want to give us the exact date, time and year of His second coming. Imagine if He were to tell us, all right, the Lord Jesus Christ will return in 2023. 5th of June, let's say. 2023, 5th of June, using solar calendar calculation. And so now you begin to calculate. So for those who live in the 19th century AD, people like Spurgeon, oh, it will he will return in 2023. I will definitely not live that long. What do you think will, how will it impact him? Will he live his life with the imminency of Christ's return? Obviously not. Because the date is 2023, June 5th. 
You see that? No need to live with any form of urgency. Just sleep on and sleep on and just simply flitter is not going to happen in my lifetime, that's for sure. And likewise for those who live in the 1920s and 30s. And then for us today, it's 2021. You have another two more years. Today's the 3rd of June. 2023, 5th of June, right? So nearly exactly two years and two days. So you can have this whole year to fool around. Oh, Christ is not going to return, 2023. And then 2022, I can still fool around because he has not returned because it's 2023. And then you'll fool around right up to the very last moment, June 4th. And then before the Lord returns on June 5th, and he will tell you the time at 12 noon, then you're going to repent of your sin and then you're going to, Lord, please forgive me. You know, I'm going to... That's our wicked juvenile mind, thinking, reasoning, even after salvation. That's why the Lord said, you don't need to know the exact time. I don't want to tell you the exact time because God says, I know what kind of heart you have and I know what kind of mind you have even after you are born again. That's why the Lord kept it from us. So don't you ever come to the conclusion that the Lord delayed because he, what, forgot? Because he suddenly became lazy? The Lord gone on a holiday? The Lord is sleeping? The Lord has forgotten? Then why did he delay? He did not delay. He will come when it is in his time, not your time. So stop being impatient. Stop demanding that he must come because he says he will in your lifetime. He says he will come. Whether it's in your lifetime or in some other generation's lifetime, you live in light of this certainty that he will return. That means he will hold you accountable to how you live your life. That's why the time for growth is always instant, immediate. But why didn't he return sooner? Why do you want him to return so soon? Very often when people talk about the return of Jesus Christ, it is usually due to the misery that they encounter on this earth. And they are covered in sores and they are in excruciating pain day and night. And the painkiller will only help for a moment. And after it wears out, the pain will return. And they just simply could not endure the pain any longer. Even when you tell them that you are suffering for Christ, they just simply cry to the Lord, Lord, take me home, return, return, take me home. When students are facing an enormous, ill-prepared exam, oh Lord, please return tonight, my exam is tomorrow. And when they are going on a very, very wonderful holiday to some part of the world that they have been longing to go, Lord, please don't return, let me go on my holiday first. Isn't that the common attitude toward the return of Christ? That's why it is so sad and tragic that when people think of the return of Christ, it is not 
biblical. And the reason is, we don't want it to be. And the evidence is our manner of life. Our manner of life is the true revelation of how we treat the time that the Lord has given to us on this earth. Christ will be on time. So don't waste time. Don't waste time. And the reason why God did not return is because of what he mentioned in the second half of verse 9. But it's long-suffering to us, word. The word long-suffering has to do with difficult people. It's long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He is now very clear why he has not returned yet, because there are still more people that need to be saved. If you were saved in the year 2000, and you are 40 years old, now it's 2021. 21 years. So you would be 19. If the Lord will return in the year 2000, and you came to know Christ in the year 2001, what would be the implication that you would die in sin at the age of 19 when you should have been converted at the age of 20? Isn't it? The reason why the Lord has not returned yet is because the Lord says, you who are my children, I have left you behind after your salvation, where I could have taken you home immediately, just as Jesus Christ assured the malefactor who was crucified next to him, and he accepted Christ while he was crucified next to Christ. And Jesus assured him, today you shall be with me in paradise. Our time here on earth, in terms of the doctrine of sanctification, is not to make you more holy so that one day you'll be fit for heaven. That is a very blasphemous understanding of the doctrine of sanctification. To have that understanding is to imply that our time here on earth is like purgatory. God is now purging us of all our sins so that one day we will be fit enough to go to heaven. And that understanding would mean and imply that Jesus Christ was lying to us when he said that it is finished. The doctrine of sanctification is for the purpose of holy witness. The moment you accept Christ as Lord and as Savior, you already have been sanctified 100% clean, perfect of all your sin. That is the positional understanding of sanctification. That's why you are now justified, righteous before God. That's why you can enter into the very holy presence of God. And the doctrine of sanctification is for us to study God's word, to become more and more mature. And whenever we sin, we ask God for genuine, sincere forgiveness and strength not to repeat that sin again, so that we can be a holy witness for God. It is for the purpose of holy witness that the Lord has saved us and left us behind to study God's word and to obey it. At home, we be a holy witness to 
everyone in our home, to our parents, to our families, to our children as parents, and grandchildren as grandparents. And then in our workplace, if you are the only believer in your workplace, you are the only one who can introduce them to Christ, and you are the only one who can usher them to the entrance of heaven when you share the gospel with them. That's why you are left behind. That's why you need to study God's word and be a holy witness in your words, in your life, in your conduct, in everything you do. And then in church, you serve and you witness a good confession and be a blessing to brothers and sisters in Christ to provoke them unto love and to more good works. That's why you have been left behind. That's why the Lord says, I have not returned yet because there is still much work for you, my disciples, to do, Jesus says. The question is, are you doing it? Are you doing it? Jesus is now revealing to us the time for growth. It's always yesterday. Don't delay, don't procrastinate. If you are not growing, you are already late. You have to grow in grace and in the knowledge of God. The two go hand in hand. You must learn to pray in a deeper fashion than when this year started in January the 1st. And the study of God's Word, study all the passages on prayer to help you. Study all the prayers in the Bible to teach you, to help you how to pray so that you will improve in your prayer life, so that you will learn to pray always receiving an affirmative from God the Father. Always. Always. And then you learn to forgive. Another grace of God, giving us the ability to forgive every transgression that others may have committed against us. And then when they come to us, they already know that we have already forgiven that there is no bitterness in our heart because we have experienced the forgiveness of God in Christ Jesus, a forgiveness that caused Jesus Christ's life's blood, the grace of God. And the more you understand how much it cost the Son of God, the Son of Man, to die and to suffer in order for us to receive forgiveness from God, then whatever anyone may hurt you or transgress against you, you will also show forgiveness. Even if that person accidentally took your son, even deliberately took your own son's life, you will forgive because your son's life can't even come close to the life of God's only begotten son who gave his life to save you. And if you were to suffer for Christ, no matter what suffering you have to endure, when you study the Bible, you realize that no matter how we may suffer for Christ, the suffering that we have to go through is nothing compared to the punishment that you and I know that we deserve because of our many transgressions that we have committed against God. And God has not dealt with us according to the severity of our iniquities. And so if we have to suffer for Christ's sake, then God has already taken away from us the suffering that we need to suffer because of our sin. It's nothing. That's God's grace. And the more you study the Bible, the more you understand the doctrine of suffering for Christ. That's God's grace. That's what you have to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ because God is giving you time, giving you more time. But since we do not know when, 
our time on earth will expire, it is incumbent upon us not to waste any more time. Don't waste any more time by doing your own thing, by having the wrong motives, and don't ever talk of killing time. I've got so much time, I don't know what to do with it. That is so much to do. Spend time first and foremost in strengthening and building up your own spiritual walk with the Lord. Improve your quiet time. Increase your Bible reading time. Make time spent in the activities and the ministries of BPCWA a priority and participate to be a blessing. Stop criticizing. Stop murmuring. Stop gossiping. These are all the works of the devil. As a child of God, why do you want to do the work of the devil? Spend your time building up. Spend your time extending God's kingdom. Spend your time grow in the Lord. That's why the Lord has not returned because there are still loved ones, family members and friends in your life, I'm sure, who are not believers. The Lord is giving you more time to witness to them, to share Christ with them. For at any time, the Lord could return and the time for growth is right now. Let us pray.